Amazing. Good evening, church. Thank you for being with us this Sunday night. I know there's really bad weather outside and maybe your car got blew away or whatever, but thank you for being at church generally. I know there's a lot of other places you could be, but you're here with us. I'm going to jump right into it. If you like to take notes or maybe you'd like to take notes on your phone or you've got a notebook or maybe a title helps you tonight, I'm going to be speaking about the power of kindness and we're going to just jump right to it. Kindness is such a basic word. It's one that we'll hear from a young age. We're taught really early on to show kindness. We hear about it in school and tech. They teach it to the primary school kids. And I'm sure as adults, as grown up, we can also relate to this idea of kindness because there's not only times in our life where we've maybe shown kindness to others, but maybe there's times in our life where we've been shown kindness ourselves. This idea of kindness that I want to bring to us tonight is one that's littered all throughout the Bible, whether it's the kindness of a stranger and the stories we know about that, or whether it's God's kindness towards me and you. And tonight I want to do is I want to take us on this journey of a guy called King David. It's a story about King David and how he shows us the power of kindness. But before we go into that, let me pray for us, church. So God, just thank you for tonight. Thank you, God, that this is your word, Lord, and your word brings life, Lord. Your word brings encouragement and correction, God, where it's needed, Lord. And I pray that all of us tonight, God, would have open hearts, God, open ears and open hands, God, to listen and to do whatever you have asked us to do. God, help us to not be distracted. God, help us to be encouraged, Lord, and listen to the word tonight. Amen, church. So this idea of kindness, we're going to look at through the story of King David. King David is this really well-known Bible character. Even if you haven't been around church a lot recently, I'm sure if you were in school or Sunday school, you've heard about David and Goliath. Well, that's the David that I want to talk a bit about tonight. But before we go into the passages, we need to spend a wee bit of time learning about King David. So just stay with me on this. So David's life, he starts off as a young shepherd boy. One day then, through a series of events, he ends up fighting Goliath, the story that we all know. At the time, there was a prophet called Samuel. He anoints him as the future king of Israel. And then David finds himself being the commander in King Saul's army. Though through working for Saul, King David ends up becoming best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, which I'm sure you've heard of. David becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. What's key, however, tonight in tonight's story, and I need you to try to remember, is this covenant, which is simply a promise that David makes to Jonathan. It says this um, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 15. Jonathan asks David this. He says, don't ever cut off kindness from my family. David makes this covenant, which is a promise with him that he will keep his word in that. So David makes this promise, but over time, as stories tend to do and people's lives tend to do, the story ends up getting a bit crazy. You see, King Saul, who was the king at the time, gets really jealous of David. David was this soon-to-be king who was set apart by God. David ends up having to run away for about four years. Saul hunts him down, and then one day, as David's hiding in a cave, Saul comes in to find him. 
And you think the natural response for David would be as I thought of this. I have this guy who's been hunting me down for years, who's caused me trauma, who's caused me to be anxious, who's caused me to be stressed. And he's came into this cave. Surely I should just wipe him out. I have the power to do this right now. And then that's the situation dealt with. But David chooses not to harm Saul at that moment. He shows kindness. And he keeps his word to show kindness to Jonathan's family. So he doesn't kill King Saul. But then that's not the end of David's story. King Saul is later killed in battle. And David becomes the king. Years later, he remembers this promise that's on the screen that he made to Jonathan. And this is where we're going to pick the story up tonight. If you have your Bible and you want to read from your Bible, we're reading from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 to 8. But it's also going to be on the screen behind us. It says this. And David said, Is there, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Seba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Seba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Seba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said, Where is he? And Seba said to the king, He's in the house of Makar, the son of Amel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Amel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you, oh, I'm not flipping, sorry, that's my fault. Um, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And first he said, and he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog? As I also, I should know I need glasses because I can't read that at the back. But that's where we are. So this passage tells us how David after he becomes king, remembers this promise to Jonathan and asks if any of the family are left. And the only guy left was this guy, Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. Now Saul, if you remember back, was the crazy king who got jealous of David. This guy, Mephibosheth, definitely didn't have it easy. See, when his dad, Jonathan, and his granddad, Saul, were killed, this guy was taken away by what they think his granny so that his life would be spared. Back in those days, if you look into things, if someone in the family line of the old king was still alive, they probably would have been killed as they were a threat to the throne. So this guy, Mephibosheth, was a huge threat to the throne because he was the firstborn son and at the time was the only son left. So the throne technically was his. For this guy, the throne should have been his. So for fear of his life, this guy was put into hiding. He was put into hiding. And on the journey of going into hiding, it tells us that he fell and he was left crippled in both of his feet. As I thought of this guy, Mephibosheth, I actually began to have a lot of sympathy for him. Is when you look into the passages that we read, not only did he live in someone else's house, but the place that he lived in, in the passage that we read, it says that he lived in Lodabar. 
And Lodabar, when you look into it, translates to mean nothing. If you put it into the dictionary, Lodabar means nothing. And to really understand the weight of that, I did a bit of a research in Belfast, okay? So where we are tonight translates, I don't understand why. Evan said, it. of course, you should know this, Rebecca, but it translates to mean mouth of the sandbanks, okay? So where we are in Belfast, at least it translates to something. But this guy where he lived, Lodabar, it translates to nothing. And if it doesn't get worse for this guy, Mesheba Beth, the name that he was given at birth literally translates to mean shame. The guy who was meant to be king was looked upon with such shame. You see, people back then, really sad people with severe injuries, weren't proudly shown or welcomed. They would have been pushed to the side. They wouldn't have been welcomed in a room, especially if they were of royalty. This guy really felt like a nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer. He felt like a nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer. But then this is the guy David meets in our passage. David asks, is anyone left? And Mephibosheth is the only one, the one who comes from nothing and feels like nothing. And David invites him to his palace and shows him kindness. And as we look tonight at how he did that and how we can practically do it too, I want us to remember this church. I want us to remember that kindness should be something that's apparent in our lives as people who love Jesus. It says this in Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. David, in this story that we read tonight, shows kindness in so many ways. He does it in a few ways. The first one is he tells this guy, Mephibosheth, don't fear. Now, I want you to think practically of it, okay? This guy was completely in fear of his life. He was put into hiding because he was going to be killed. So this guy, I can imagine, as King David calls him to his house, he's been hiding from King David. So he must have been petrified, like, I've been found. I'm going to be killed. Like, my life's over. Could you imagine getting that phone call? Like, you've been hiding for someone for years that you know is going to kill you, and they phone you to come to their door. Like, you wouldn't be feeling super happy about it. This guy must have felt terrified. Like, the king's found me from hiding. Surely I'm dead. Now, and you know what? The reality is, David could have killed this guy in an instant. He could have killed him right on the spot. His granddad had put him through so much. But David tells him, don't fear. And practically tonight, this is going to be super practical as we look at the idea of kindness. Sometimes in our life and in my life, people will treat us wrongly. Or someone from their family will treat us wrongly like Mephibosheth and Saul. And you know what? David had the power to hurt back. But he doesn't. He doesn't hurt back. And you know what? The same goes out for us as we look at this idea of kindness tonight. The reality is in our life, people will hurt us. The reality is people will wrong us, whether that's them or their family. And our human reaction sometimes, if we're honest, without God's strength is to hurt back, to retaliate, to ignore, to speak badly of them, to, to not be kind to them. That's what our human reaction is. And I want to just give a wee bit of a disclaimer before I go further tonight in practical ideas of how to show kindness. 
because I want to just put it out there from the start that I'm not suggesting for you to invite hurtful people who constantly hurt you to have a front seat in your life. I'm not telling you because that would be really unwise. But what I want to practically challenge you tonight is someone who loves and follows God. And maybe for those who don't yet, that our response to our wrongdoers and those linked to our wrongdoers should be like David's to Mephibosheth. David says to him, do not fear. And tonight as we look at this idea of kindness, I want us to practically think of what our response to our wrongdoers can be. Because if we're all honest, there's times where we've all been hurt by other people, whether that's been them or their family. And as Christians and people who love God, our response should be different. I want to practically challenge us that when you've been hurt or if you've been hurt, I want to practically challenge you tonight to leave justice and vengeance in God's hands. It says this in Romans 12, 19. It says, don't take revenge. You see, David could have took revenge. He had every possibility as soon as this guy came to the door, wipe him out, but he didn't. And you'll find that in the story. You know, tonight you can show kindness the kindness of God by not retaliating, by not ignoring people. And that's hard. Like, I know people in here have been hurt by people, wrongly hurt by people. But tonight, you can show kindness by not retaliating, by not ignoring them and leaving it to God. Tonight, we can pray for our enemies. Not a prayer. I thought about this. It's not a prayer, God, strike them down before I do it. It's not a prayer like that. It's a prayer, God, I'm just going to leave this in your hands. Instead of taking it into our own hands, we leave it in God's hands. You see, David, who we read about tonight, echoes this throughout the Psalms, which I've been reading so much. It says in Psalm 109, this prayer where he prays to God and leaves the justice of his evildoers in God's hands. See, David didn't put his hands to refrain. And I want to challenge you tonight. Don't put your hand to refrain. That's up to God. Leave it in God's hands. Remember, justice is God's. Leave it to him and if you've been hurt and if you haven't you probably will be at some point in your life remember that practical challenge revenge is God's and God might not ever revenge but we just want to remember that it's not ours to take don't put your hand to revenge the next thing David does which is such a beautiful picture he doesn't just say to this guy who he could have hurt he doesn't say to him just don't fear and we can learn to not take revenge. David invites this guy to eat at my table. He says in verse 7, if you've got your Bible, eat at my table. Now again, I want to leave a disclaimer. I'm not telling you to invite all your enemies round for dinner tomorrow night and sit them round your table. But in this picture of kindness, David invites a guy whose family had wronged him to eat at his table. Now, I want to put it out there. I don't know if there's any foodies in here, people who love having people over for dinner. And if that's you, I want you to never forget that Evan and I are always free on Mondays and Wednesdays and Saturdays, and we will always take up an offer to come for food. But if you love having people over, you'll know you invite people over who are your friends. You invite people round your table, hopefully, that you love having over for dinner, who you enjoy having fellowship and friendship with. It's a sign of fellowship. It's a sign of friendship, having people over. You gather the people you enjoy. And David responds in this way to the guy who was his threat. 
The guy who was his threat, David responds to say, eat at my table. You see, when we rewind the story, if we remember back to the passages, when Mephibosheth comes to David's house, as I said, he was terrified. He probably thinks, I'm going to die. And so what he does, he arrives and he says to David, behold, I'm your servant. He says, behold, I am your servant. Because he probably thinks, you know what, if I'm not going to die, the least I can do is be this guy's servant. But if you remember anything about this guy, because of his story that he was put into hiding, he was left crippled in both his feet. Now, back then, that would have been a bit of an issue because being a servant back in those days in David's time was largely based on farming. It was based on being in the land and it was also based on being in the army. So this guy actually couldn't have been much in help. He was limited physically. He couldn't look after his own land, never mind David's land or David's army. He didn't have much to offer David. And you know what the beautiful thing is? David doesn't say to this guy who doesn't have much to offer, well, you have nothing to offer me, so I don't have any time for you, or you have nothing to offer me, so go away. David says this. He says, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, the one that was the crazy king, and you shall eat at my table Always, you see, the beauty is Mephibosheth is not merely tolerated by David. He's invited into a relationship. This guy doesn't have much to offer at all. Being a servant, he couldn't actually do anything for David. But that didn't matter for David. This guy couldn't give it anything, yet David gave to him. And you know, practically for us, as we look at this idea of kindness, I want to practically challenge you not only to not take revenge, I want to practically challenge you about this idea of hospitality. Now, Pastor Matt talked about this last Sunday, but I had this planned um, for weeks. It means to invite someone into your life to be hospitable. And I want you to think tonight of how are you inviting people into your life? Perhaps it means inviting them to eat at your table or maybe joining a life group that we have in church or helping someone practically because this is the reality that we can show kindness through inviting people into our life. We can show kindness through inviting people into our life. And you know, the challenge with that is this, and this is where the rubber hits the road. It's really easy to show kindness to people that we know will be kind back. It's really easy when we know we're going to get the invite back or we know when people do it for people who are really easy to love and easy to tolerate. But what about this guy, Mephibosheth? He couldn't give anything back to David, yet David gave to him. It says this in Luke 6, verse 34, If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Church, I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you tonight. Let's just not be people who serve or give to get things back. Let's just do it. When was the last time you helped someone who couldn't help you back, who couldn't do anything back to you? This guy, Mephibosheth, was crippled in both of his feet. He couldn't do the farming. He couldn't be in the army. Yet David gave to him. He couldn't give anything back. Yet David gave to him. And the last thing David does to him, which is the most beautiful, he says, be like a son. So I want to practically challenge you. Don't take revenge. Invite people into your life. And finally, what David does is he treats 
Mephibosheth like one of his sons. Verse 11, which we didn't really have time to read, says this. It says, Then Seba, who was the servant, said to the king, According to all the Lord, my king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So not only does David provide for this guy, but he actually treats him like one of his own. What a pattern of kindness is in that church that he not only tells him not to fear, not only does he not take revenge, he invites him to eat at his table and he actually treats him like one of his own. This guy went from hiding to being treated like a son, from the place Lodabar, which translates to nothing, to a place of love, from Lodabar to love. You see, that's the power of kindness. And as we think of how we can be kind, I want to just really simply challenge you. When we invite people into our life, let's not simply tolerate people. Let's not simply tolerate them. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you are a part of it. And you know, the reality is of the body of Christ, there's some people who are easy to love. There's some people who aren't so easy to love. And at times, I'm not the person that's easy to love, okay? And I will put my hand up to that. There's people who aren't the most lovable. So loving people can be hard, yet littered throughout the Bible is commandments to love our neighbor, to love the body of Christ, to love one another deeply, to love our enemy. I want to practically challenge you. How are you showing kindness in your life tonight? Don't take revenge, leave it in God's hands. And I know for some of you that's actually really hard because I don't know the depth of what other people have done to you, but leave it in God's hands. Who are you inviting into your life to be at your table and don't just tolerate people? But you know what, church, there's a key to all of this. And it's the most beautiful thing you because David has first been shown kindness by someone and that someone was God. You see, God was first kind to David. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. It says, And the king said, the king being David, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? You see, David wasn't showing his own kindness. He was showing God's kindness to the guy who really needed it. And church, that's what we do because the reality is we and I have first been shown kindness by God. I was the one who was once in need of the kindness of God. I am still in need of the kindness of God, so I should show it to others. The reality is we were and all are in need of the kindness of God. Tonight, I want to just practically challenge you. If you haven't made the decision to follow God yet, this is for you. And if you have, this is also for you. Because no matter who you are, God has been so kind to you. Like, so, so kind to you. More than you ever, ever know. Because you know what the reality is? As we think about this guy, Mephibosheth, we were actually all like him. We were all like this guy. We were all like him, and perhaps we still are. The reality is, with Mephibosheth, he was weak. He was completely weak. It says at the bottom of the verses, he actually calls himself a dead dog, which isn't a really good thing to call yourself, but a dead dog means that you're crippled, you're insignificant, and you're broken. And not to put like a bit of a dampener on tonight, that's actually like all of us. 
Now, I don't mean we're physically weak, maybe crippled in both of our feet. I mean that before God, we were and are completely weak. We're weak before God. And I don't know if this is your first time in church or you've never met me or never heard me preach, but you're going to say that girl is such a downer. Like she's coming to tell me I'm weak. She's coming to say that we're all weak before God. But it means that we're weak because because of our sin, because of the stuff that we have done wrong, we were and are weak because we could have never, ever, ever paid for it on our own. Our work doesn't save us. And you know, the reality is, even being the kindest person in the world won't save you. Even having the most kindness and doing the most kindest acts isn't going to save you. Nothing we could do or could ever do would have been enough to bring us before God. So we are weak. We're weak. But here's the good news. It does end in good news. It says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 5. It says this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. Let me read that again. But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared, does John Piper puts it this way, and I love how he says it, the eternal life of everyone depends on the kindness of God, not our goodness. The eternal life of me and you depends on the kindness of God, not our goodness. Because the reality is that you and I could have never been good enough before a holy God. But the great news in that is that Jesus steps in our place to bring us before God. Jesus steps in our place. And you know, nothing that I do could have ever been enough to bring me before God. And maybe you're thinking tonight, Rebecca, like how could I ever come before God? Like, you don't know what I've done this week. You don't know how, how I've been this week. But you, you know the reality is, you actually will never be good enough. But Jesus comes and steps in your place and he brings you before God. You don't come before God on your own. You come and Jesus brings you there. When you're in here feeling weak and broken and full of sin, asking how I could ever get to God, the answer will always be Jesus. Jesus brings us before God. We were weak. We were insignificant. We were crippled. Yet Jesus stepped in the kindness of God our Savior, not by our righteousness, not by our goodness, but what he has done. Mephibosheth, this guy, was not only weak, but he was also hiding. He was hiding, and that's what we do, isn't it, before God? We try to hide when we do stuff wrong. We've all done that. When we do things wrong, we try to hide. We try to run away. But you know the reality is with God, we could never hide from him. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we've done. But you know how God responds to us. Like David responds to Mephibosheth, and God responds to us by showing us his kindness. He says this, and this is how I want to finish tonight. God's response to us as we look how we can be kind to others. I want to practically remind us how God has been kind to us. God says to us, eat at my table. Like David says to this servant boy, come and eat at my table. God reminds us to come and eat at our table. You know, time and time again in the Bible, Jesus is found eating with sinners. It's such a story where Jesus is found eating with tax collectors, with sinners, with people who really needed forgiveness. And Jesus does the same for us. He invites us to eat 
at his table. He invites us into a personal relationship tonight, not just to tolerate us, but into our relationship with us. And like David treated this servant boy like one of his sons, Jesus says to us tonight, you are my son, you are my daughter. This guy said to his servant, now I treat, I'll treat you like one of my sons. You know, church, if you've been around church, you'll have heard this story before, but it was really interesting when I read into it. Luke chapter 14, which tells us about Jesus um, and all his life. It tells us a story of how Jesus comes and eats with the crippled. He comes and eats with the poor, the blind, and the lame, and they're invited to eat at a great feast. So that's Luke chapter 14. And then when we find Luke chapter 15, the following chapter, we read the story of the prodigal son. Now, I don't know if you've heard the prodigal son, but it was this guy who messed up, who ran away, who tried to hide and then came back, asked to be treated like a servant, like our servant tonight did as well, but was treated like a son. Now, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but the link between both of these is really clear. Luke chapter 14, where we see Jesus eating with sinners, with people who don't have much to offer. And Luke chapter 15, the following chapter, where this prodigal comes home and is treated like a son. And here's the link, you see, we all are spiritually crippled, like the people who come to this table. We have nothing to offer Jesus, but Jesus makes us sons and daughters. We have nothing to offer like the lame, like the cripple, like the insignificant. Yet, chapter 15, Jesus makes us a son and daughter like he did with the prodigal. We don't have much to give Jesus, yet he gives to us. We don't have much to offer. This guy was crippled in both of his feet, yet he was made like a son. And that's the same for us. We don't have nothing to offer. Yet God invites us into this personal relationship by calling us sons and daughters. And you know what? If you haven't made that decision, I never want to get up here and never tell you how you can do that. All you do is come to God and say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. Come into my life. Help me to make you the Lord of my life and make that decision to follow him. And tonight, if you don't know Jesus, you can make that decision to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that, making him the Lord of your life. And I want to remind you, church, as so many of you are, I want to remind you of how kind God has been to you already. God has been ridiculously kind to you. The very fact that you're alive is because of God's kindness. God could have done away with me, especially me, years ago, but he hasn't. You see, God has been so kind to us because we were all like this servant. We were all hiding. We were all weak. Yet God came and he found us. God came and he's brought us before him and invited us into a relationship with him. And church, that's the power of kindness. The power of kindness through our actions and God's kindness towards us. And as we go about our weeks, I want us to remember how has God been kind to us? How can we show his kindness to other people? And tonight, if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, you can too. I'm going to invite the worship team up and they're going to come and lead us in a song. But church, tonight, if you don't know God and you haven't made that decision, can I encourage you to respond to God's kindness 
He's a God that loves you. That story of the prodigal is for you, that you can come home tonight to Jesus and Jesus stands in your place. You'll never be good enough and you never actually can be good enough. But that's why Jesus came and Jesus will always be the answer. And maybe tonight, church, you know God and you've already made that decision. How are you showing God's kindness to other people? Don't take revenge. Leave it in God's hands. How are you inviting people to eat at your table? Invite people to be like one of your own. Just don't tolerate people, but we're part of the family church. If you want to stand, I'm going to pray for us before the team play. God, thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you, God, that we're only here because of your kindness towards us. Lord, help us to be kind to others. Help us to show your kindness to others. Lord, thank you, God, that you make us like a son and daughter. Thank you, God, that Jesus came and stepped in our place. We would never be good enough and we never will be. But thank you because of Jesus that we can come before you tonight. Lord, help us to worship in this final song to remember how kind and how good you've been to us. Lord, thank you.